0: Good morning, I'm Brian Fry, campus minister with RUF, Reformed University Fellowship here at Boise State, and um, my family and I are part of this church, and I am happy to be looking at Revelation chapter 5 with you this morning. Uh, If you're visiting, or if you're new, um, well we're glad you're here, and you might be thinking though, you see Revelation and you're like, well what in the world? And maybe even if you're not new or visiting, you might be thinking, what in the world? Uh, because Revelation does have a reputation of just being kind of weird and difficult and uh, maybe kind of scary and, and spooky. Um, but Revelation was actually given to us by God. Given to, he gave this to his church to help us with concrete, everyday needs, to help us to make sense of the world that we live in, And one of the main goals of Revelation is to try to convince us, despite whatever our senses might see, that actually, in fact, things are not as they seem. Revelation wants to pull back the curtain on reality, to unveil what is really true, what is the deeper, truer, bigger reality behind the things that are every day right in front of our faces. And the way that Revelation does this, as Brian mentioned earlier, is through pictures. It's through images. It is a very, very imagey thing, this book of Revelation. Some people have described it as theology for visual learners. Um, so, what, what Revelation gives us is pictures, not puzzles. People think Revelation is just sort of a series of secret codes that tell us about these mysterious future events that we're kind of scared of. But in reality, these are primarily pictures to help us make sense of our present life. The world that we live in right now. To make sense of life in this world where you and I, well, I'm assuming you're like me, where you easily feel very disoriented. You feel lost. Sometimes you're mistakenly confident. So I fluctuate between those two. I either feel lost and disoriented or mistakenly confident. And um, then I realize that my confidence is mistaken and all of a sudden I feel lost and disoriented again. And it's kind of a cycle Um, that's who this book is given for. God gave us this book to try to convince us that things are not, in fact, as they seem. So, with that in mind, let me read this passage for us. This is the entirety of Revelation chapter 5. This is God's Word. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the, into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's pray before we take a look at this. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we need your help. We thank you because we know that you do reveal yourself and you make yourself clear to us and you show yourself to us and you do not stand far off, but we confess that we are small-minded people who need your help to understand how you have shown yourself to us. We ask expectantly that you would make yourself known, make yourself clear to us by your word this morning through your spirit. Would you use this time in our lives and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a question that I get all the time, or not. I don't get my students get on campus. uh, My students get this question all the time, and they hate this question. You need to know that they hate this question because you ask them this question. I know they hate it because I ask them this question, and they tell me that they hate it. Um, And the question is, so what's your plan? You know, what's uh, what's your plan for your major? What's your plan for your summer? What are you doing after you graduate? What's your five-year plan? What's your ten-year plan? What is this thing you call a five-year plan? Um, the reason they don't like being asked the question, the reason I'm guessing you don't like being asked that question either, is, is because they don't really have an answer to that question. But the fact that you're asking them that question sort of implies that there ought to be an answer. And so you just sort of make, make something up. And you've been there. We've all been there. Pretending like you have a plan, even though you're really just winging it. Um, and I start that way because... Um, I'd like for you to ask yourself this question. Do you believe that God has a plan? Do you believe that God has a goal in mind that he is working towards and he knows how he's going to get there? When you look at your life, when you look at your family, when you look at world events, do you think that God has a plan? Sociologists who study stuff like this say that most Americans, you could describe their worldview As deism, which all that really means is is deism says if there is a God, if there is a creator, then all he really did was make all this stuff and kind of let it go. He sort of wound up the clock and let it go. He doesn't intervene. He doesn't play any active role in our lives. He doesn't play any active role in world history. He doesn't really have a plan that he's working towards. He's not accomplishing anything. So in other words, God's relationship with world history and God's relationship with you personally It's kind of like your relationship with your great, 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 great grandfather. Um, He has some, he played a role in how you got here, but you don't have any real active relationship with him. He's important, but he doesn't, he's not really involved in your life. And so here's the thing the way you answer that question, does God have a plan? And you did, you walked in here today with an answer to that question. And for most of us, we maybe have an intellectual idea of how we answer that question, but then functionally, when the rubber meets the road in life, we kind of live out of a different uh, answer to that question. But either way, the way you answered that question, does God have a plan, necessarily impacts the way you live. It necessarily impacts the way you see life in this world. It's not just some philosophical thought experiment. This is extremely practical. And that is the question that Revelation chapter 5 is wrestling with here. This is what it takes head on. Does God have a plan? This scene, we're actually in here in the second half of one scene in the throne room of God. Chapters 4 and 5 are all one scene. We're, we're invited into the throne room of God to, to see this picture. And chapter 4, which we don't have printed, uh, but chapter 4 ends with loud, resounding, joyful, glorious worship. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's joyful. But then chapter 5 really has a very abrupt beginning because it begins with somebody weeping. And it's the Apostle John who's writing this down. Verse 4 says that he was weeping loudly. He was sobbing uncontrollably. Why? Why was John all of a sudden weeping? Well, it has something to do with this scroll, which maybe you noticed while we read it. The scroll is really the focus of this entire passage So what is this scroll? What's this about? Verse 1 says, The one who is seated on the throne, God, has a scroll in his hand, and it's sealed with seven seals. Now, in uh, the uh, ancient Roman Empire, if you had a document, an important document, that needed to get sealed up and delivered, you didn't stick it in an envelope like we do. Um, Not even a really official-looking envelope. What you do is you roll it up, because it's a scroll. I guess that's what makes it a scroll, is you roll it up. Um, but then to seal it, you would you would drip hot wax on it and you would place your seal on it. You would stamp your seal into it, your personal seal. And the thing about these seals are that the only person who could break that seal, the only person who could open this document and look at it was someone who was authorized to break that person's seal. Whoever seal it bears, you have to be authorized to break that person's seal, the seal of the sender. And this document... It says it's sealed with seven seals. This is, it's a picture of perfect, complete, it is completely sealed. So what is this scroll? What's it supposed to represent? Well, what this document is, this uh, every biblical scholar that I've read on the subject agrees. What this scroll represents is the complete, perfect plan of God. These, this is his blueprints for all of history, the entire history of the world. How he's going to make this world take Take what has been so broken, what is so ravaged by sin and sadness and brokenness, how he's going to take all of that and renovate it, how he's going to remake it, transform it into a glorious new world. And notice, because this is interesting, it says it's written on both sides. Scrolls were not written on both sides normally. Uh, this is an unusual, and it's an image of, this is jam-packed with information. This has this is we 're not just talking about the big stuff, the big world events we 're talking about every little detail, including every little detail of your life and of my life. Imagine that this is a picture of God sitting on his throne in perfect power in absolute authority he 's holding in his hand a document which is his blueprint for every part of human history, including your life, every detail of your life. And it is a document that, if it could be opened, would make sense of everything. It would make sense of all of it, show how it fits together, and explain where this is going. And then comes the question in verse 2. It says, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy, who is authorized to open the scroll and break its seals. Who is worthy of understanding God's purposes for the world? And not only that, who is worthy of actually carrying it out? In other words, uh, who is capable of not only under- opening up God's big plan for a big world with a big mess. But who is worthy of opening it and enacting it so that all of this begins to make sense? Who can possibly fix This broken world. Um, I imagine for most of you, I don't really need to convince you that the world that we live in is deeply broken and deeply painful. A lot of you are living it right now. Um, To take an example from the world that John was living in, that the first readers of Revelation were living in, it was very ordinary practice in the Roman Empire for a woman with an unwanted pregnancy to give birth to the child and, and leave it on a trash heap or or along the side of the road. And this is attested by multiple ancient historians, not just Christian historians, say that there's this little group of people called Christians who are taking in these babies. And they're not just caring for them, they are making them the next members of their family. And these Christians are the people that the Roman government is systematically executing. What do you do with that? You know? Do you believe that God has a plan? The, and you see statistics, I saw this earlier this week uh, from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children that says of the over 18,000 children who ran away in 2016, just in the, in the United States, three, over 3,000 of them were recruited or lured into prostitution or pornography. That's just in the U.S. Globally, the number is about a million for the year 2016. And then you see terrorist attacks, and you see natural disasters, and you see thousands upon thousands of people losing their life trying to cross the Mediterranean to Europe. You see mass shootings. You see racism. We can go on and on and on. And you, you kind of ask, like, is this, is this plan A? You, does God really have a plan? And if so, this, surely this can't be plan A. And then you see your own life. Some of you have been abused, some of you have been taken advantage of, some of you have been cheated and people have hurt you deeply, some of you carry around scars that you expect to carry around for the rest of your life, others of you are simply hurting from what anybody else would say, well that's just normal life in this world where relationships are hard and you lose your job and cancer diagnoses come in. And Revelation chapter 5 presents us with the prospect of someone holding a scroll that has all of the information that makes all of the evil and all of the suffering make sense. And not just making sense of it, but actually fixing it, making it right. But who is worthy? Who is capable of doing this, of making this happen? Verse 3, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look into it. In other words, if no one can fix this, then yes, things really are as they seem. And there really is no hope, and no point, and no purpose. It's just chaos, and destruction, and injustice, and violence, and that's just the way it is. And that's why John is weeping. I'd say that's a good reason to weep. If no one can fix this, if no one can unroll and execute God's plan for making all of this right, then this really is just as good as it gets, and we ought to just, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. If we live in a world where history is moving toward a destination where people who do terrible things are not held to account, if we live in a world that is headed toward a destination where scars are not healed, where tears are not wiped away, where injustices are not made right, and where everything really is pointless, then it ought to break our hearts. And we ought to honestly just close up shop and go home. Quit wasting our time. That is the prospect that John is presented with here. That no one can open and execute God's plan to redeem this world. And then in verse 5, a voice comes into the middle of this sadness and it says, Weep no more. Why? Because, behold, look, The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. This is saying, look, there is one who can bring about God's purposes for history. There is one who can make sense of the violence and the injustice. There is one who can make sense of the sadness and the hard things in your own life, who can fix all of this mess, and that one is Jesus Jesus here is described as the Lion of Judah. That's a reference back to Genesis chapter 49 where there's this prophecy that there is one who is going to come, who is strong and who is fierce and who is once and for all going to triumph over his enemies. And he's described as the Root of David, which is a reference back to the prophet Isaiah. He is, he is the long-awaited king who will sit on his throne, who will rule over everything with perfect power and perfect righteousness forever. In other words, to answer the initial question, does God have a plan? Revelation says, yes, God does have a plan. And Jesus is the one who executes it. How? How does Jesus fix all this mess? Verse 6. John turns around. I would imagine he expects to see a giant ferocious lion because it just said, look, a lion. Uh, But he turns around, and what does he see? A lamb. And this is, the word here is a little lamb, not a sheep. Like, picture something that a a middle schooler could hold. This is a a lamb standing as if it had been slain, which uh, the way you would have slayed a lamb would have been to slit its throat, and so it's this, Picture of a lamb that's standing there, it's alive, and yet its throat has been slit, and there's blood matting its wool. And it says he has seven horns, which is a picture of perfect power. It looks like it is weak, it looks like it's actually been killed, but it actually has perfect power. It has seven eyes, which is Revelations. It says it's the seven spirits of God, which is Revelations' way of talking about the Holy Spirit. It says this lamb is perfectly, completely filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And there's this paradox in this image. There is a strong and ferocious lion that has conquered and has triumphed over evil. And how has he done it? He's done it by becoming a weak little lamb with its throat cut. This is telling us simply this, that the central event in world history is the cross. Where do we look if we want to begin to make sense of all this stuff? We look at the cross. That is God's answer. You want to know what God's plan is? His plan is the cross. And this is amazing. If you're like me, most of the time you kind of just want God to sort of zap this stuff with lightning bolts and fix everything. You're like, God, just fix this. We want him to do that, but he instead says, I am going to come into it to fix it. He takes it on himself. How is that conquering? This shouldn't make sense. He he wins by dying. That shouldn't make sense. That should boggle our mind. We want justice to roll down, don't we? Let justice roll down like the waters, to quote Martin Luther King Jr., who was quoting Amos chapter 5. Let justice roll down like water. We ought to say that. When I talk to students about stuff going on in their lives, when I talk to students about things that have happened to them, about scars that they carry around that, honestly, no 19-year-old should ever have to carry, let justice roll down. Fix this. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. But the scary thought about that is as soon as I say... Let justice roll down like water. I have to realize I'm standing at the bottom of that hill too. Right? That has to involve me. So Jesus instead says, yes, let justice roll down on me. I heard this story recently. I think it illustrates it pretty well. It's an ancient Chinese story. I don't know if it's true or not. But it's the story of a a small town that had one central well And this one particular year, they had a severe drought, and so they were rationing water very, very strictly. The punishment, if you were caught stealing water, was uh, to be tied to a stake in the center of town and receive 40 blows. And there was one hot afternoon, and the town's bailiff comes in to the judge, and he tells the judge someone's been caught stealing water. But the judge realizes that the bailiff is particularly sad, about this one. And he says, why are you so sad? And the bailiff says, well, come with me and and you'll see. And they go out to the well and there still huddled over the bucket of stolen water is the judge's own mother who's sick with a fever. And the judge loves his mother. He feels compassion, but he knows that justice has to be served. And so he sentences her to what justice demands, 40 blows. And she is tied to a stake in the middle of town. And the judge removes his robe and wraps himself around his mother and says, make sure every single blow falls on my back and don't touch her. That is precisely what Jesus does for us. That's what the cross is about. And it's not just for us personally. He doesn't merely take all of the punishment for our particular sins and our particular rebellion. Not that that's a small thing. But he doesn't just take our personal punishment. He takes the full force of God's righteous justice for all of the brokenness in this fallen world. And he says, I have paid for it once and for all. It is finished. Look at how this passage ends. This is phenomenal. The lamb who was slain takes the scroll. He just walks right up to the throne and he takes the scroll out of God's hand. And all of a sudden, these four living creatures, these terrifying, glorious creatures that we would looked at last week, and these 24 elders, they burst out into joyful singing. And they say, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. And all of a sudden there are myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands of angels who join in. And then it says all of creation, every creature in the universe joins in and says worthy is the lamb who was slain. So do you think God has a plan? That's the question for us. When you look at your own life, when you look at your struggles, when you look at the pressures that you face, the things you're stressed out about, the things that keep you up at night, when you look at the world around you, do you believe, do you think that God actually has a plan? What Revelation is telling us is that God does have a plan, and Jesus is at the center of that plan. And that is the only thing that will ever make sense of one ounce of the brokenness and the pain and the sadness in your life and in the world, because without that, without Jesus, this really is all completely pointless. But Jesus says, I'm not only going to make sense of it, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to conquer it. That's what the cross is about. Um, here's the thing Does hearing this, seeing this picture, suddenly fix all of your problems? So make them just go away. No. No. But does it begin to reframe your life? I think so. I think it ought to. Does seeing this picture suddenly make life in this fallen world easy and pain-free? No. Revelation goes on to, to explain that. But does it help to reorient us in the midst of all of the confusing and disorienting things, our fears and our worries and the burdens that we carry? Absolutely. Because the Lion of Judah is a lamb who was slain... And he and he alone is worthy, be, and because he is worthy, he can say to people like you and me, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you deep rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, we confess that we have a very small view of precisely what it is that you're doing in this world. We long, we yearn for it all to make sense although we, I'm sure, would not understand if we tried. Um, Father, we thank you that you have not looked at this world and you have not looked at our lives and turned your back. And we thank you that instead you have said, yes, I will redeem. And you have never made a promise to your people that you have not kept. We thank you, we ask that Even seeing this picture from Revelation this morning might reframe the way we look at our lives, the way we see our struggles and our failures and the things that are stressing us out. Would you help us by your grace? We need it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.